0: saved from what the Bible speaks that we are saved from the judgment we are saved from God's wrath that we deserve because of our sin because of our rebellion and the fact we have turned from God we deserve condemnation but we are saved from that we are saved from God's wrath by God's grace and this has a past, present, and a future dimension to it. In the past, if you have come to Christ Jesus and you have repented of your sins, you have been saved from sin's penalty. You are no longer condemned in the eyes of God. You're already saved. Also in the present, you are being saved. That, that you are being saved from sin's power the power and the sway that sin has over you, God is eradicating that in your life through sanctification. You are still being saved. You are a work in progress. But ultimately in the future, we will be saved from sin's presence and glory. There will be no sin around us anymore. No more temptation. No more pull and allure of sin and rebellion. Those things will be gone. So we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved from the wrath of God by the grace of God the conversion we experience is by the truth but what is that message what, what must that message contain Paul spells it out in verses 3 and 4 the true gospel message Paul says in verse 3 for I delivered to you Paul says literally I hand it over to you as of first importance that which I also received Paul received something and then he turned around and handed it over Paul didn't make this up. He didn't come up with this on his own and say, you know what, I've got a great idea. I've got a new philosophy I'm going to share. No, he received this message and then he delivered it. He took it out of his hands and put it in their hands. I deliver to you, and Paul says, as of first importance. We're talking about primary issues here. In Christianity, there are secondary doctrines. That divide us. So much so that we have different denominations because we have different views on these doctrines. But then there are also third level issues in which we differ in. That we don't necessarily have to be different denominations. We don't even have to be members, different members of the same of a different church. We can still disagree on these matters. But Paul says, This I delivered to you was of primary importance. This is something that we cannot we must not abandon. Because to do so would be that we would not have Christianity anymore. That you are not saved if you do not have this belief. Paul says, I delivered you as of first importance that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. So the first thing of the gospel message is Christ's crucifixion. Christ died for what? Our sins. He didn't die for his own sins. He didn't pay the penalty for his own rebellion. He died for our sins. And the first thing we need to understand is that you are a sinner. In the eyes of a holy God, you have a sin nature that leads you to believe and to act differently than God wants you to. We all have it. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody rebels against God because everybody is a sinner by nature. Adam and Eve, in their rebellion, brought that curse upon us. We've all sinned, but the Bible says that Christ died for our sins. That the, the, the death of Jesus, the sacrifice of Christ, was a substitutionary payment on your behalf. That when Jesus died, He died for you. He died in your place. The punishment that you deserved fell upon Him. So we think about the atonement of Jesus, the fact that He obeyed God's Word in your place because you couldn't do it. But he also died in your place, and you deserved that. But Jesus did that for you. That's the essence of Christianity that Jesus Christ died in your place, suffered your punishment so that you could be forgiven, so that you would be born again. But not only is the crucifixion of Jesus important, but also the resurrection in verse 4 and that he was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Paul says that God's promise to rescue and redeem us is incomplete without the bodily resurrection of Jesus. If Christ died for our sins and stayed dead in the tomb, we're going to read later on in this chapter, if Christ died and was not raised, you're still dead in your sins. You don't have a Savior if your Savior is not raised, if He's not alive you're still dead in your trespasses and sins. And Paul says His death in our place, His resurrection the third day, both of these things are according to the Scriptures, according to God's Word. God has promised this beforehand. In the Old Testament, the prophets spoke about the death of the Messiah. Also spoke about in the Psalms the resurrection of the Messiah. That all of this took place according to God's preordained plan before the foundation of the world God had so chosen that his son would come and live in our place and die in our place and be raised in our place so that by faith in him and repentance of our sins we too will be raised with new life yesterday we had our marriage conference and part of that is we invited folks to bring food because as Baptists we've got to eat right anytime we gather we've got to eat it makes it better. And part of that meal in, in involved desserts. And so Nancy decided she was going to bring a dessert. And it was a, it was a glorious dessert. It was, it was beautiful and, and it was wonderful, just like she is. Oh, okay. <laughs> we call that brownie points. But anyway, part of this dessert, it was it was ice cream sandwiches. Uh, that was covered in, in whipped cream and, and chocolate syrup and, and frozen and made this, this big mound of a, of a, of a cake and, and so when I went to the grocery I had to gather all of these ingredients and I like all three of those things ice cream sandwiches Cool Whip chocolate syrup but if you don't put them all together you, you're missing you don't have the, the, the complete dessert you know if you just had Cool Whip and, and chocolate syrup it'd be good but without the ice cream sandwiches you wouldn't have the complete dessert and so Paul is showing us the essential ingredients of the gospel here. He says, this is the gospel I received and I delivered it to you. And then you received it and you took your stand in it. And by that you are saved and in this you persevere. It's the, the death of Christ for our sins. It's the bodily resurrection of Christ to give us a new life in a future. Both of these things are according to the Scriptures. Paul merely took what God said, spoke that to others, and through that they were saved. So the first testimony of the resurrection of Jesus is God's Word. If that's all we had, that would be enough. The fact that these Christians heard this message and they were born again and converted, that was enough evidence to show us that the resurrection of Christ was true. The impact it had on those believers, the impact it's had on you, is enough evidence. But Paul says there's more. The second witness, the second testimony, is godly witnesses in verses 5-11. through There are various individuals that testify to us the truth of Christ's bodily resurrection. In verses 5-8, he shows the multiple appearances of Jesus. Paul lists several individuals who saw the risen Christ for themselves. Starting in verse 8, he mentions that he appeared to Cephas, another name for Peter. Then also to the twelve, the twelve disciples. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, more than 500 people. They were gathered together and they saw over 500 people. They saw with their own eyes, physically, the body of Christ alive once again. If you were to take something to the court of law and you had over 500 eyewitnesses, you think that would ever be disputed or doubted? Over 500 people at one time. He says most of them are, are still alive. Most of them are remaining to now. If you don't believe me, you go ask them. They will say, I was there. I saw him. Paul says, some have fallen asleep. Some have already passed. But many, when Paul wrote this letter, saying 500 people saw Christ, if anybody ever wanted to deny Paul, dispute Paul, they could have gone and found out. Talk to these people themselves. Paul says in verse 7, then he appeared to James, that's the half-brother of Jesus, who used to be a skeptic. And he says, then to all the apostles... And last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Untimely born, Paul says, because I was a little late coming to this Christianity thing. If there were others that, that believed in Christ and saw Christ. There were others who were saved and converted to Christ before me. Paul says, as one untimely born, eventually I got there, but I was later than the others. Paul says, nevertheless, I saw the risen Christ over and over again four times in verses 5 through 8 four times the statement he appeared verse 5 he appeared verse 6 he appeared verse 7 he appeared verse 8 he appeared repetition that's emphasis he appeared who appeared Jesus the one who died for our sins he appeared how can one dead appear because he was raised on the third day and all of these witnesses through these multiple appearances they add to us the certainty of the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus many of these individuals lost their lives because they testified Jesus was raised if they truly did not believe that Jesus was raised why would they have died This was something they fabricated. Why would they willingly go to the grave for something they knew was false? Paul says there were multiple appearances. This gives us certainty. But then also we see the modest apostle, verses 9 through 11. Paul provides his own personal testimony, and this lends credibility. If the multiple appearances gives us certainty, Paul's testimony lends credibility. Credibility to this fact that Christ was raised we see that first of all in Paul's honesty verse 9 Paul speaks about one who was untimely born he appeared to me also for because I am the least of the apostles I'm not fit to be called an apostle Paul's honesty he admits I am a sinner and elsewhere in scripture he calls himself the chief of sinners Paul knows of his own unworthiness and he's honest about that He doesn't say, believe me, because I'm such a great guy. Believe me, because I'm a swell fella. Paul says, I don't even deserve to be called an apostle, and yet he appeared to me anyway. He did something in my life that I did not deserve. But also, Paul speaks about his history. Why is he so undeserving about that? Verse 9 shows us his history. He reminds us. He says, I'm not worthy... I'm not fit to be called an apostle. Why, Paul? Because I persecuted the church of God. We read about Paul's story in the book of Acts. He was so zealous against Christ. He literally had believers arrested and thrown in jail and gave his approval in Acts chapter 8 when Stephen was stoned to death for his testimony. Paul was there agreeing with what was taking place. And then we read in Acts chapter 9, Jesus appears to him. On his road to Damascus, on his way to go arrest more Christians and drag them to jail, Christ appears to him. And he says to him, why are you persecuting me? You see, when you do damage to the church of God, it's not just a group of people. You're doing damage to the body of Christ. You are attacking Christ himself. And Paul in his history says that that I was persecuting the church of God. And Jesus in Acts chapter 9, he says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And even though Paul was an enemy to the cross, even though Paul was an enemy and a threat to the church, Christ still saved him. Christ still redeemed him. Christ still rescued him. Even though he gave agreement to to those who were being destroyed and, and murdered for their faith, Christ still saved him. No one is beyond his reach. You are not beyond his ability to save and to change and to redeem. Paul in his history, and his testimony, the power of the gospel to transform hearts, even Paul's, even yours, the power of God to transform hearts gives validity to the fact that Christ has been raised. And we see Paul's humility in verses 10 and 11. He said, I persecuted the church of God, but, in verse 10, look how many times he mentions the word grace. Three times, one verse. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me did not prove vain. Grace is undeserved favor. Grace is love that is not earned. It's something given that the recipient does not deserve. Paul said, by God's grace, I didn't deserve to be saved. I did not deserve to see the risen Lord. I was an enemy of the Lord. I persecuted the Lord, but yet He still chose to appear to me and to change me because He loved me. It's by the grace of God I am what I am. Paul rested in that grace. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. His grace in me was effectual. It changed me. It transformed me. And I'm living and serving in this grace. He says, I labored even more than all of them. I said, well, there's Paul bragging. He says, "Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. The grace of God with me. God showered Paul with undeserved favor for both salvation and service. And God can and will do that for you. The grace of God is sufficient to save you. The grace of God is enough for your salvation and to also equip you for Christian service. To turn you from a sinner to a servant. The grace of God is enough. The grace of God is able. Paul says, I labored more than all of them. Not I, but the grace of God within me. He was empowered by the grace of the Lord. In verse 11, he says, Whether then it was I or they, doesn't matter. The credit is not to either one of us. We preach, and you believed. We proclaimed, and you had faith. The believing didn't come until the preaching happened first. The message was presented with clarity and accuracy and by the power of the Holy Spirit the message was applied and then individuals believed. That's the way it happened in the book of Corinthians. That's the way it happens now. The message is preached. The message is given. The message is spoken. The message is proclaimed verbally and then ears hear it, hearts believe it. And Paul in his humility said, It really doesn't matter if it was me or if it was them. Just so long as the message is preached, when the message is preached, the message will be believed. Not by Paul's power and authority, not by my power and authority, but by the grace of God that is sufficient. Whether I or they we preach, Paul speaks about cooperation for kingdom ministry. In his humility, he says, Christ appeared to me. I didn't deserve it. I'm serving the Lord. I don't deserve it. I don't have the power to do it. But by his grace, I am what I am. And we're working together and we're in this together. And we're united in this doctrine. We're united in the sacrificial, substitutionary death of Christ and his resurrection. And we preach that. And we stand in that. Paul says, you received it and you take your stand in it too. But it wouldn't do any good to take our stand in something that wasn't true, now would it? But Paul shows us through the witness of God's Word and also through godly witnesses, we can rest assured that the Christian faith is established upon the validity of Christ's resurrection. We've come to that time of year now where it's starting to warm up and and the new life, life that was dormant is once again revived us. Spring cleaning time, and we do that sometimes inside our houses or outside in our yards. I took the opportunity the other day to, to get the old car started again. I put the key in the ignition, turned it, absolutely nothing, not even a click. It was dead in a doornail. So you know what I had to do? I had to take the car that was running, hook up the jumper cables, and after several minutes of, of, of waiting and attempting, eventually, finally, that dormant battery restarted. In order for that battery to restart, it had to be attached to a power source that was alive and active. Folks, for you to have new birth, for you to have revival, you must be connected to a living power source. I serve a living Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is with me, whatever men may say. He lives. And because Christ lives, and because of the power of the resurrection, you too can live. You too can be made alive in Christ. You too can be revived. Because Christ is alive again. Our Christian walk, sometimes it has ups, sometimes it has downs. Our commitments and our enthusiasm can sometimes fall dormant. Our vibrancy and our usefulness wanes over time, sometimes because of circumstances in our lives, sometimes because of just spiritual laziness on our part. But the good news, because Christ has been raised, we can have new life. We can have revival. I am so willing and I am so ready. I'm so burdened for this church that we would experience revival. I'm not talking about just scheduling special services. I'm talking about a fresh move of the Holy Spirit of God in our midst. I'm talking about a reawakening in our hearts. And I believe God led me to this sermon series over the next five weeks to get at that very thing. Because of the resurrection of Christ, you can have new birth. Because of the resurrection of Christ, you can have revival. And I want you to join me in praying for that. I want you to join me in expecting that. Not because we have power, we have ability, we have creativity, but because of the grace of God. God loves this church. God wants this church to be alive and active and thriving. God wants to use this church as an instrument to bring grace into this community and grace into this state, nation, and world. God wants to do that in us. Let's pray for that. Let's partner together to expect that. And if Christ is dead, then none of that stuff matters. But folks, He is alive because of the testimony we have of God's Word, because of the testimony of godly witnesses, we can and should believe in the resurrection of Christ. And to know our faith is anchored in the certainty of the resurrection and the credibility of the witnesses. That means that you and I, in our faith and in our service, we can and we should move forward in the assurance that your faith is not a blind faith, that your faith is a factual faith rooted in the historical truth of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.